Welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. Hey, it's Anthony here, and welcome to today's podcast. It's good to have you here. And whether you listen in every week or perhaps this is your first time, thanks for joining me today. So on with today's show. I talk to salon owners in multiple countries every week, and no matter where they are in the world, they all have lots in common. But if there's one thing that unites them more than ever, it is the recruitment and retention of team members. And I'll bet that didn't surprise you at all. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. My guest on today's episode is Stephanie Fox from Talent Match, which is a recruitment and team building agency that specializes in the hair and beauty business. Stephanie brings a wealth of knowledge and insights and enthusiasm into how salons can solve the recruitment issue. And she does so in a really well-informed and upbeat, positive way. You're really going to enjoy listening to her. In today's podcast, we will discuss what the key things are that employees want from a job today, why people change jobs, the importance of salon culture, leadership, and lots more. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Stephanie Fox from Talent Match. Thank you. Great to be here today. It's really good to have you here. I'm very curious about uh, a lot of the things that we're going to talk about uh, naturally. So uh, I'm excited to talk to you because I know that you have a, you know, a real depth of knowledge and expertise in this. So uh, a lot of people are going to be hanging off your every word, which is, uh, which is good, <laughs> good for all of us. So um, let's start off the way I start with everybody, which is by getting you to sort of introduce yourself. So who is Stephanie Fox? How did you get into the hairdressing industry? Give us your sort of two or three minute backstory and uh, and then we'll dig into the important bits. Sure. Well, I'll just start with how people describe me and I'm starting to self-describe myself um, this way, which is I'm a bit of a unicorn in the industry. I went to cosmetology school. So I am a licensed hairdresser and specifically color And I also have a master's degree in business. So I kind of sit in these two spaces where I started my career on the technical side and with the art of our industry. And it led me down a path of being highly curious about the business side of our industry. So I've done everything from work with manufacturers. I worked for Aveda for a handful of years in retail and outside sales. And then I landed on their color team. I still live on the West Coast. I was in Los Angeles. So I was the hair color educator for Aveda Los Angeles. And I got to meet the amazing David Adams, who I know you know as well. And we became um, great friends and he was a great mentor of mine. And when he chose to open Red Chocolate, which is an education and consulting company on the business of color, it was just a perfect fit for me because I was colorist and I was studying business and I had a real fascination for how the two connected. Um, So then I, I ended up leaving my corporate role and joining David Adams and Virginia Meyer with Red Chocolate. And I... Gosh, I traveled with them for years, almost 10 years around the U.S. in salons between, you know, actually Canada and U.S. And it was amazing. And it brought me to the place I am now, which is really wanting to solve some problems that we see inside of the beauty space with team and with leadership and with finding team. Um, When I left Red Chocolate, I ended up thinking, 
probably like most salon people would think like, I can do this. I can open a salon, you know, like I'm in all mm-hmm. these salons. Like, Why shouldn't I open one? <laughs> um, and so I did that and, you know, gosh, I got my butt kicked a few times and I had some great successes also. And I learned a ton. I had my salon for about 10 years. It just had a successful exit this last September. So a year ago. And I chose to really take all of my time in all of these salons and all of the knowledge and uh, data. I'm a total data nerd. I think we'll talk more about that on our time together today. But I chose to take all of that information and really funnel it into Talent Match, which is a brand that I've actually had for a handful of years, but I've gotten really laser focused in now that the salon is off of my plate um, Mm. here in the last year and a half, two years. So I opened Talent Match um, and got it rebranded and really just focused on helping team build, you know, and find staff, which is the thing we're all talking about our struggles around right now. <laughs> okay, great. Well, we're gonna we're gonna come to that in a minute. I'm I didn't know that you had a master's degree in business. That's fantastic. I um, do. I yeah. love it when I <laughs> when I hear hairdressers that have gone. I I haven't got any degree or whatever, um, but I I you know enormously respect anyone who does go on and do some tertiary education, business education, or whatever, because I think it can only make you a better uh, business owner, salon owner, you know, whatever it yeah. is. Because as you just alluded to. Most people open a salon completely unprepared for the realities of it. Um, now, you just alluded to the fact that you still got your butt kicked a few times. So I wanted to ask yeah. you, was that <laughs> – so did you do the, the master's in business after you got your butt kicked or before that no. and you still got your butt kicked? Oh, I did it before, yeah. You know, And I, I thought what a lot of people think when they open a business. I have enough money to do this. I have enough time to do this. I've got the skill to do this. And I opened and I needed way more money than I thought I was going to need. And it took way longer to scale than I thought it was going to take. You know, I opened a business with um, brand new staff, no clientele. I had just relocated to a city. So we really were very ground up. It wasn't a traditional, I have a clientele as a hairdresser and I'm opening a business. We went complete startup. Um, And it took us about four and a half years really to get to a place that I felt like I could breathe and we were doing well. And, you know, I've since learned, gosh, businesses actually are more like, between five to 10, a lot of times go outside of beauty. So when I was in it, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is so hard in that first few years. And then yeah. we just hit this great turning point, you know, and the team got to a really nice size. And I've had all, you know, I team build, that's what I do. And even be, even though I do that and I study it and I've had experience doing it, I have had all the same heartaches that everybody else does. So people come sure. to me as an expert in building teams And I'm happy to say the only reason I'm good at building teams is because I've done it and I've done things that haven't worked, you Mm -hmm. know, and I learned a lot. And because I'm, um, I'll call myself naturally very curious. I'm a highly Mm -hmm. curious person. So when something doesn't work out, I go straight back into the problem and I ask a lot of questions, Mm -hmm. you know, and I go to the people involved and ask a lot of questions and it's landed me in a place where thankfully I grew a very successful salon business. Um, because I was not afraid. I had a relationship with my team that made me not afraid to, to just be very honest and very transparent and very vulnerable, honestly. And that's really what's become the basis of all of the work that I do is I had yeah. that ability inside of my business to, to do that, where I, I work with a lot of salon owners who don't feel comfortable going to their team and saying, tell me what I did wrong. You know, tell me how I could have done that differently because it can be mm. really scary. You know, it's a hard, it's a hard conversation to have sometimes, but um, my team probably loved and hated. I'm I'm the queen of hard conversations. I'm like, bring it on. Let's have them. (laughs) 
Okay, so I, I'm, you, you've thrown me off course uh, a little bit there because I want to ask you something about your degree. And if you were talking to someone, a hairdresser, who uh, didn't have a degree, didn't hadn't studied business or anything, what would you tell them the benefit was of going to university and doing a master's in business uh, so that you could then come back into the salon industry? What did you get from it? Yeah. I would say the biggest benefit is I got a high level theory Mm. of all things related to business. So I had a really solid understanding of business operations, business finance, business marketing, you know, there's all these buckets that really go into owning a business. And so I, there were no gaps in my awareness that there were these different buckets or lanes that I needed to understand what you don't get out of education in a traditional sense is what really happens when you run a business, right? Nobody says to you, uh, Hey, like this is my favorite example. Nobody said to me, Stephanie, you're going to open a business and the revenue is tied to your employee because of the model of business that you're opening. So in the salon industry, if you hire an employee and you follow all the things that a business degree would tell you about hiring, when you lose that employee, you're going to lose revenue. That's not something they talk about in business school. That's not even something salon owners told me. That's not even something that, you know, 12 years into the industry, having worked in thousands of salons around the country, I was self-aware enough to think about. I just thought, oh, I've got this. It's good. You know, and then I lost my first employee (laughs) and I lost $100,000 overnight in the business. And I was like, oh my gosh, business degree does not prepare you for that. Um, It it gives you the tools and resources to think about how you're going to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. but then you actually have to get about the solving. And, and, you know, I love education. You know, I'm an undergraduate. I have a master's degree. I've done tons of advanced training. Um, it's not the thing that's going to make or break your success. I would say that even with my knowledge in education. Yeah. It's in yeah. the doing. Yeah, exactly. That, that's a really good uh, summary. I always remember someone said to me, I, was, I apologized to him literally for not having a degree uh, because he was employing me to teach salon owners about marketing. And I, I started off with an apology saying that I don't have any formal qualification. He said to me, Anthony, he said, I've got three degrees. And he says, you probably know more about marketing than what I do. And, mm-hmm. and it made me feel good about be, not, not apologizing for being a hairdresser yeah. without a formal education. Because as you just said, you learn an awful lot in the actual doing of it. And you either learn or you don't survive. And, uh, and fortunately, yeah. uh, you know, many people survive and, and uh, build great businesses, which is a, a fantastic, um, you know, acknowledgement of what's possible for hairdressers in this industry. OK, so let's get back on track here and talk about Talent Match, which is your new business. Uh, you touched on it. What exactly is Talent Match? What is the purpose of it? Yeah, Talent Match is a research and education company that helps salons recruit, hire, and keep staff. So it's team building. And it really comes from my personal love of data. You know, I found when I was out in the salons and I was talking to employees and they trusted me because I was there educating them. I was in their general age range. They felt like they could confide in me and they were sharing what I call their headaches and heartaches. You know, and then I would be at dinner at night and out with the owners or the leadership team and they trusted me and they had obviously hired me to come and work with their teams. And so they're telling me all of their headaches and heartaches. And it was very clear 
years ago that we had these massive gaps between what we felt about each other and what our intentions were and, and where we were landing with each other. And so it really came from this idea that I need to start asking more questions and the solutions will come from having better understanding. So everything with talent match is very data driven. Um, I, I say on stage when I present, you know, nobody needs my BS opinion. <laughs> they need actual understanding of where people come from. And so really what talent match does is we research with the workforce directly. We talk to them. And we ask them all the things that every salon owner I know wants to know, <laughs> you know, around how they find their job, why they pick it, why they stay, why they leave. And then we use those resources and that data to provide services that help salons do those very things, find staff, keep staff, um, grow staff. Right. Got it. Okay. So, I mean, I know that you're, you know, obviously US based, um, uh, but everything you talk about is applicable to all of my audience. It's applicable to salons everywhere. You know, all Absolutely. over the world, salons have the same challenges, the same frustrations, and uh, we can all learn from each other as to how we we deal with those challenges and frustrations. Uh, you, you've said a couple of times that you are a data, uh, I'm not sure if you use the word nerd or junkie. Nerd, either way, yes, you, both. <laughs> you, you're both, okay. Either way, you love it, okay. You love data, you love facts, and that's really good. Because I think that oftentimes facts and figures in this industry uh, or research in this industry um, is dubious in terms of, you know, uh, sometimes people set out to prove a point as opposed to, you know, that they've already decided what they want the data yeah. to tell them. So then they go and look for the data to reinforce their, their argument, uh, which is pointless to me. Uh, but I've, <laughs> I've looked at a lot of your data and, and, and you know, what you presented uh, and, and it is just incredible. It's amazing. So uh, d tell us about that. I mean, first of all, um, you know, what sort of pool of people did you draw this information from? Because uh, I know it was significant. Yeah. So in 2020 and 2021, the last two years, we've had over 20,000 students and stylists respond. So I've been very fortunate, you know, the relationship we have in this industry to have access to the schools and the schools have been instrumental in the U.S. here in delivering the survey to their database of students and stylists. Um, and then it went, of course, to my own database of owners who were willing to facilitate it down into their teams um, to get feedback. So it has a really nice mix of both students that are coming out of school and stylists that are out in the workforce telling us, you know, what, what do you want from us? How, how do we better serve you so that we can continue growing you and building our businesses in a time when we're very disrupted? You know, there's been a lot of evolution, not catalysts lately, but even in the last 20 years, the industry has seen massive evolution. In the U.S., we've had the advance of the suite models and rental. Um, globally, we've had evolution in the preferences of the workforce right? The way technology has evolved, how we engage as consumers has changed. And then that overlaps into how we engage as employees. And so I come from, if I have the data, then I can look at the, the, the data set and the question I asked, and I can start to think about the problem that is there and what behaviors would change that, right? So I kind of come from it backwards. I look at the, here's the data sets, and then what's the way we would actually solve the reason that that's a reality. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, people are saying, I don't know how to find staff right now. And the data tells us very clearly, the staff says, we find you on Instagram. So mm -hmm. if that's the case, then what we have to get really good at is understanding Instagram, 
right? We have to understand how to use it, what they're looking for on it, the story we need to be telling, how to differentiate ourselves. And so that's where Talent Match comes in and we do that research and we say, okay, how do we use Instagram well? How do we help people identify their story? How do we help them tell the story? What's the frequency of the tell? You know, and we bring those solutions then to the market instead of just throwing our hands in the air and saying, well, we can't find staff, you know, because we can find them. They need us and we need them. Yeah. So is Talent Match, I mean, it started off very much as you talking about team building. Um, mm -hmm. Has Talent Match turned into more of like a recruitment agency? Is it something like that or it is, is that phase two? No, it is. It is recruiting agency. I say team building um, because mm -hmm. we we help salons find staff, which is recruiting, and we help salons keep staff, which is retention, right? Okay. And in the middle of that is all the leadership work. And yeah. it's also very much, you know, it's a recruitment marketing agency. If you really mm -hmm. want to dial it down to most basic business, yeah. it's recruitment marketing. Okay. Is it just you or do you have a team of people? I have a team. Mm-hmm. Good. Fantastic. Okay. Yeah. All right. So when you talk about the research and, and where it came from, 20,000 odd people, uh, you mentioned uh, schools. Um, and so what I wanted to ask you about was what, what sort of age range is represented in that 20,000? Is it all just Gen Z or is it a mixture of, you know, Gen Z and boomers and millennials and, you know, are they all in the mix there? Yeah, I'm going to just read you the stats here because I have it in front of me. So it is a mix. So we're 38% Gen Z. So that's that 18 to 24 range. So that's the highest percentage of people that answered. It's the newest recruits, right, coming out of school. 26% millennial. And so that's going 25 to 34-ish. And then we go into that millennial Gen X blend. Um, and that was 20% of the survey. And then uh, Gen X was 12% and 4% baby boomers. So we do have a blend, but it certainly lends itself to being, you know, I would say if we look at this 44 to 18 is the range that most of the people answering the survey were in the age, you know, not younger than 18, not really older than 44. Right. Okay. Fantastic. Um, okay. So uh, we can't, we can't talk about any of this without acknowledging COVID uh, so one, what I wanted to ask you about yeah. is, is, is what sort of impact has COVID had on all things recruitment? You know, I know we're going to talk about that yeah. for the next couple of minutes, <laughs> but like as a, as a sort of a summary piece, what impact did COVID have uh, on, on the whole recruitment thing? And, uh, you know, um, what's benefited? Who are the winners? Who are the losers? Uh, what business models have benefited most? You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So COVID as a whole in the U.S. definitely has had a massive impact on the labor market. So in the United States, we had a lot of financial support show up from the government to assist people that, you know, weren't comfortable going into work. They, you know, they didn't feel safe. And so a lot of salons would tell you that they lost a lot of staff because of the unemployment benefits. Now, one of the other massive things that COVID did for the beauty industry, which is a predominantly female industry here in the United States, is it impacted childcare. You know, our schools were shut down. It impacted actual ability to go to work. Um, and if, it, if you were still able to go, it impacted your scheduling needs. So we had these massive shifts occur in terms of when you were available to work. And a lot of salons that either would or would not accommodate preferences for schedule, but then allowed you know, working moms to still come to work, lost staff. So, or we had a lot of staff who just said, I can't come to work because 
I have to be home with my kids. So we certainly felt an impact from COVID to the workforce and availability of. But the other thing, and this is the part I find much more interesting, is we had people who saw COVID as a reason to reset. You know, they said, well, I haven't been at work for the last eight weeks here in the US as our kind of, that was our typical close time. Do I want to go back to this place of work? Or do I want to find something new? And something new doesn't mean I went to work for myself in all cases. And that is unfortunately what a lot of salon leaders would want to just summarize. Oh, they left me and they went to sweet rent. And that's not what the data tells us. You know, they did some, in some cases, go to sweet rent. In some cases, they left the industry because of childcare preferences or just exhaustion change. But we also see people who just said, I want a new space to work in. And, you know, we saw this with consumers too. When my business reopened, our first 90 days of being reopened, we had double the new client count, fully double than what we ever had. And so we started, again, because I love the data, surveying our clients. Where did you come from? <laughs> Why are you here suddenly? And we heard very consistently, it felt like a great time for a change. So I think that we just saw COVID build this massive mental and emotional reset. And it was like, we had a breakup and I haven't seen you for eight weeks. So I'm just going to go ahead and start over. And that happened with, with employment as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that makes, that makes an awful lot of sense. And that's pretty much happened everywhere. And it's interesting with the salon owners that I talk to is that a lot of them have also had this, you know, come to Jesus moment of oh, sitting around at home, so twiddling their thumbs and thinking, <laughs> Never mind, do the staff want to change? I quite fancy a change as well. And people are really, you know, reconsidering what they want out of life, what they want out of business, what direction things are going to go in. So, um, you know, that's that's interesting, everything you've said there. Um, and so you, you sort of alluded to the fact that a percentage of them have gone more into the, you know, the sweet rental uh, model. Um is the data saying that that is getting stronger and continuing to get stronger because of COVID? Or is it just continuing on the path that it was, which is a trajectory of it was growing and the traditional commission-based salon was uh, declining or plateauing, if I'm going to be kind? Yeah, so the data says that 60% of the workforce said COVID made no change to their career plans. Mm -hmm. So... I would say that's a pretty significant number of them, right? 60% said no change. When we look at the difference, when we asked in 2020, what's your plan after school? It was, um, it was 68% of them said, I want to work as an employee after I graduate. Now yeah. that number came down just slightly, like four to 5% in 2021. It was not significant. What stays the same is you have this over 60% that want to go into the workforce as an employee, but you're in the 70% range. In 2021, it's 73% of that population that said, I want to be an employee, that then says, but I want to booth rent eventually. So we find ourselves in this situation where they want to start with us for all the reasons we know. They tell us, we want to build a clientele. We're afraid to work alone. We want educated. We want a team. Um, but then after they've worked with us for a period of time, they then think that they're going to want to go work for themselves. Now, one of the data points that had a pretty significant change from 2020 to 2021 was when I asked them if they would stay, if we could meet their needs. You know, the ones that said, I do want to rent. I said, well, would you stay? 
if we could do what you wanted from us. In 2020, 80% of them said yes. In 2021, 73% of them said yes. So follow the data points. We have 60, I think it's 68%. Yes, I want to be an employee after I graduate. 73% of them, but I want to rent eventually. 73% of that population, I would stay if you could meet all of my needs. So we still are looking at a significant portion of the workforce that says, I want to work in a salon as an employee. I want a leader. I want a team. I want Mm -hmm. to have a growth path inside of this business. So I think COVID to your original question, did it impact it? I think it reset people's uh, preference. And if anything, it raised the bar on the leadership to show up and, and be who you are and build a great environment and have the right culture and criteria fits. And, and by criteria, what I mean is compensate well, think about paid time off, stop asking people to make up time because they want a vacation day, right? We have these antiquated business things going on in our industry that don't exist outside of our industry. And we're struggling to recruit people into our industry. And then we're asking why? Well, because they can go work at Apple and make $100,000 a year and have four weeks of paid vacation, or they can come work in a salon and make a hundred thousand dollars a year and have to make up every day they take off. They don't want to do it. Mm. And I'm not surprised. I wouldn't want to do it either. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, in in terms of that, using that as an example, that's a very American thing. Um, I mean, you pay higher percentages as a rule there, but what a lot of people forget is that the reason you get paid higher percentages is because you don't have all those benefits. Whereas in, say, Australia or the UK or even Canada or whatever, uh, they have to pay more in terms of benefits, in terms of paid holiday, in terms of sick leave, in terms of paternity leave, and and et cetera, et cetera. So the percentages are lower. Uh, But, yeah, I, I totally get where you're coming from there. So, you know, looking at that data, you said 68% want to work in an employee-based business. Uh, that's great. That's comforting. Um, but then you said 70% of that 68% want to rent eventually. So doesn't that say that I want to work in a salon to build up a client base? And once I've built up that client base, then I'm going to leave and I'm going to take that client base elsewhere. And so I suppose what I'm asking you is, do they see the dichotomy of that? Like that a salon owner... <laughs> It's going to employ people with nothing, going to pay them, mm-hmm. going to train them, going to build them up, going to nurture them, going to grow them, going to, going to help, not exclusively give them a clientele, but really help market them and turn them into professional for them, for them to want to leave. Because I think a lot of this ties into part of the equation often people don't talk about is the more independence we have in the industry, no matter where we're talking, UK, US, Australia, Canada, whatever, then the less opportunity there is for assistants or apprentices because independents don't take on assistants or apprentices. So there's a sort of a training issue there. Um, I haven't even asked you a question, really. I've just sort of thrown these thoughts at you and and are interested to see what you come back out with. Well, I think what we see in, in the United States is that our independents do take on assistants because they get too busy. So they do bring on some assistance. And I would say it's a small percentage of them. But what we're seeing is that this is a generation of highly entrepreneurial minded individuals. Mm -hmm. So I will not be surprised. I'm making a total hypothesis here. I will not be surprised if what we see happen is the suite models 
the, the smarter, savvier stylists that have landed in that rental environment realize I would rather have passive income than be responsible every day for only earning money when my hands are in hair. Mm. So they're going to add stylists, apprentices underneath them, and they're going to then find themselves in the same salon model that they left right? Mm. Because the only way they're going to get to passive income is if they have staff underneath of them. And so I think that we have this um, model that I I believe is still viable. Personally, I believe that we are going to see the same model keep growing. I mean, I know so many salons that opened post COVID young hairdressers who said, this is my Mm. time, right? Real estate's right to do it. Commercial real estate. I'm going to open a space. And so I, I tend to stay away from what I just call doomsday thinking, which is like, is this model dying? Um, no, you know, only if you look at the data in the U S about 11% of our population is a business owner, the whole, not in the beauty industry, generally 11% are business owners. And if you look at the, if you follow that data down of like the percentage of them that say they want to work, but the percentage that would stay, we land at about the same 10 to 11% mark. That's really the percentage of the population that's going to be successful in that space long-term, you know? So I think as leaders running businesses that employ teams, our job is to refocus our energy and to actually think less about, are they going to be successful in the suite? Because yes, some of them are very successful in the suite model. And to actually think more about what has changed with their preferences, what has changed with the way they want to work, what has changed with the way I want to work? What kind Mm -hmm. of team do I want to work with? And let's get crystal clear, right? Let's really identify who is, who am I as a leader? What is my brand? What do we represent? Who are the people I want to work with? How do I offer them the things that make their life joyful and prosperous and amazing and stop being so focused on, are they going to leave us and take everything and work harder on building that upfront relationship? And then the ones that want to leave, we can be part of the process, right? What feels better as an entrepreneur, as a business owner than helping somebody else chase a dream? That is the most rewarding thing when it goes the right way. You know, and I can speak from personal experience, having had both realities, the one that didn't go the right way and totally broke my heart and the one that went amazing. And there's just, that also then creates incredible business opportunity for all of us business owners to think about additional passive income. How do we support the person that wants to go do the next thing and make sure we're part of the next thing, whether it's in our traditional model or not. You know, we have to think bigger and we have to, to be less focused on the problem that we think is there, you know, stop focusing there. There's just too much energy. And then we're not really solving for how we create a better future in beauty. Yeah. We're never going to get rid of the sweets. They're here. I, I, I agree. I agree totally. And I think that part of the problem as to why the, you know, independent movement is, has got so much momentum is because there's a lack of leadership in the traditional salon model. I mean, there are some great leaders out there and there are some great salon owners out there all over the world, but there are so many people that open a business that really should not be in business because they just don't have those sort of leadership, team building, you know, whatever we want to call it, skills that are really needed to build and nurture and grow and develop a team and and to develop a business. You know, they, they like most yeah. of us, just underestimate what's involved in running a business. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, okay. Um, one thing I want to go back to that you, you, you touched on, you, you said that there was a very high percentage. I think you said it was something like 80% uh, of people said that they would stay if they could get what they want at the salon. So that sort of 
that sounds great. But then the next yeah. question becomes, well, what, what is they it want? they want? <laughs> because there's uh, got to be yeah. a drink left in it for the salon owner because, you know, sometimes what they want is to work, you know, 30 hours a week. They want to earn, you know, 75, yeah. 100 grand a year. They only want to, you know, uh, they want paid vacate. They want, 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 want. And then from the other perspective, as the salon owner, you're looking at it going, well, look, I'd love you to stay here, but for me to fulfill all those, you know, wants of yours, there's just nothing in it left for me. So, so, so what are the wants that the data, yeah. you know, points out? So let me first go back um, to some needs and then I'll, I'll talk about the wants. So our industry needs business owners, salon owners, salon leaders to get into the schools, to get into the effort spent marketing our industry to future talent. We need to do a better job of telling what it really looks like. You know, let's change the narrative of coming in, t- being built, being marketed for, and then leaving and thinking that all that they built for you is yours to take, right? If we start educating on professional growth and professional exits all the way in the beginning, we can start to change what really happens when a stylist shows up and thinks they can just take it. Like that's very old school thinking that isn't going to change unless we start teaching differently, right? Yeah. So that's our job. So we need to do that. And then on a leader layer, instead of us just developing our leader skills, the biggest gap we have is we're growing these teams and we're not growing leader layers inside of our teams and we're letting it all sit on one person and we're losing the connection that the data very clearly tells us they want. They want to feel like they are friends with their leader. And I don't know about you, but when I think about my close circle of friends, it is small because I don't have the mental or emotional capacity to be friends with everybody right? I can be acquaintances with a lot of people, but I cannot really be friends. And so I have to build enough leader layers inside of my business that every single person feels like they are connected, truly connected to somebody above them. And so that means that we have to develop leadership education. So what you said earlier about um, we need leadership skills. Yes. Those are not the ability to have a direct conversation and give feedback is not an innate skill. That is a learned skill. You know, the ability to be friends and have you know, great casual chat and hang out with you. And then the next day, be very direct about your performance gaps. Those are learned skills, right? So we need to be teaching those so that we can have what they're asking us for, which is be my friend, which by the way, doesn't mean I want to hang out with you outside of work. It's only 13% of them that think that being your friend means they hang out with you. It's, It's more like, I'm connected to you. I trust you. We communicate. I feel like there's mutual respect. It's, it's relational things. Um, so we have to do that. And then to get to what they tell us they need, because of course my, my question was, well, what do you need? You said you'll stay, you know, this is, these are the things. Number one, schedule needs have to be met. So they're telling us very clearly, my lifestyle means more to me than my work. So I need my schedule to accommodate my preferences outside of work. So we have to be willing as leaders to take a different look at our business and stop just offering up, here's the schedule you're going to work, but instead figure out how to offer up opportunity for them to have a bit of a say in it. And I'll, I'll preface that with, even in my own business, what I'm not saying and I did not do was pick your schedule, work whenever you want. That's not what this is. This is more about understanding the needs of your business as a smart business owner, and then recognizing where you have opportunity to let them have a say in which of these schedules fits best for them. And if we have to make an accommodation somewhere, how are we as a business owner going to make an accommodation then in our business to close that gap? 
right? Like we just have to think a little differently. Um, so that's the one thing schedule. The second thing they said is I need a great leader. I need a great leader. You know, they want their leader to feel like their friend and be able to help them grow. And they tell us in the data, the number one reason they pick a place to work is they want a team that feels like a family, their words, that family word comes in all the time. They're looking for this connection, sense of care. And the second thing they care about is the ability to grow. So if we take those two data sets and we correlate them to, I need a great leader if I'm going to stay, then we can easily say they associate a great leader with someone that leads a great familial-like team and helps them grow, right? Like that leader has to do both of those things. It's really, really important. Um, the third thing was education. You know, they tell us it matters to me that I come to you and you're going to help me learn. You know, there's also a lot of data points in here, um, which anybody can download this. I, I let this, this data is free, but read the education ones. They're willing to have it be a shared expense where historically we've really thought of owning the full expense and they're happy to have some shared expense because they recognize that we're kind of moving beyond the days of signing non-competes and non-solicitations. And, you know, they don't always want to do that. So we've always done that sign the paper in exchange for all the things we'll invest in you. And now they're willing to say, well, we won't sign the paper, but you maybe don't have to make all of the investment. We'll invest some. Um, compensation was the fourth one. So pay me what feels fair. Uh, an awesome team was the fifth one. You know, they want to work around people that they love and that they feel like help them grow and they're connected to. And then the last one um, is the benefits. What, what are my healthcare benefits? What are my paid time off benefits? And even what are non-traditional benefits inside of the space? You know, in the United States, we have a lot of feedback um, on the survey come around, like pay for me to have a pedicure once a month. I would consider that a perk, right? Um, pay for me to have a massage or chiropractic care. Like those would be non-traditional perks that they listed as top loyalty perks, mm. things that are kind of self-care related. Yeah, okay. Uh, interesting. So the the thing you said about not signing non-competes uh, or non-solicitation of clients in return for, and I'll pay for, you know, my education or contribute towards my education as a trade-off, um, is the data, I mean, I don't know how far back you go with your data, is the data saying that that is growing? Is that what you're saying to me, that there are less and less people now that are prepared to sign any sort of non-compete? Yeah. Absolutely. And we see movements, um, you know, stylists that work in independent space. There's one here in the United States and I, they actually, I think have kind of a global space, destroy the hairdresser. You know, they're, they're a movement of a few hairdressers that got started having conversations around what they think is right or wrong for the hairdresser. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the big things they talk about. And so when we see movements like that spreading thought and their form of education, then it, it impacts the preferences of our employee because they hear what um, I'll just say they hear what they want to hear and they don't actually understand the full story behind our level of investment and why we might ask for some sort of agreement or, mm. you know, whether it's an employment contract. And so I take that again, back to what are we doing as business owners to teach all the way back in the beginning of the school scenario? Like we don't just need to go in and pitch our school or our, our businesses to the schools. We need to go in and teach about the industry. Like, let's mm. teach about why non-competes exist. Let's talk about what it takes to build a business. Let's talk about how long it takes you to be financially viable as a hairdresser. You know, let's talk about how you acquire new clients. Like, let's just teach from the space that we need the whole industry to elevate 
and not just go in and do a demo day to try to attract people into only our business, right? Yeah. Collectively, we have to work together and, and get people thinking differently and help the, the students land in the right salon for them because they know enough about that said salon to make an informed choice. You know, mm. they know one, one of my favorite courses to teach in the schools, I kind of picked six top line um, elements of business leadership, the education we offer, how we compensate our non-competes. And I went and I just talked about the industry. You know, here's what you can expect when it comes to leadership. There's small salons, there's large salons. There's, this is what coaching looks like in some salons. This is what it looks like in another. This is why a non-compete, you know, this is the variance of education programs. Like, let's just teach. And then I can talk about what my brand offered. And the person in the audience that thinks that's appealing is going to raise their hand and say, Steph, I want to talk to you. Like, I want to come work at Canvas. And then the ones that aren't at least trust me enough to say, I'd love to ask you a question. You know, can you help me figure out a salon that has this other style of offering? Like that's in my dream world. And when I look at the research, I want all of us to get to that place of transparency and intention so that our workforce can make more informed choices because, oh my gosh, there are gaps. What they tell us they want and what really exists, like expectations and reality have massive misses. And I think we can only blame ourselves. Like we have yeah. to help teach them. Yeah, that's, I've got so many questions to ask you. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, let's, get, let's back up a little bit. You, you went through six, a list of six things, which were basically, was it the most important things that people look for in a job today? That was the six things. And the number one was you didn't call it flexibility, but it was really flexibility. It was about, I think you just referred to it in terms of schedule. your schedule, mm -hmm. in terms of just picking your schedule. So when, you know, because when you talk to, um, you know, uh, Gen Zers today, uh, most of them will talk about flexibility as being something that's really important, but it's actually, it, it's not just them. In fact, you know, I, I'll often talk about, you know, Gen Z and millennials and boomers and all that sort of stuff. But do you know what? I also find myself just saying people today yes. because I, I think it, it's, it, it maybe it is like endemic within a certain demographic, but I think it influences everybody. And I think that people today want more flexibility, whether you're a 50 or 60 year old, a boomer, a millennial, a, a Gen X, a, a Gen Z or whatever. People want more flexibility with their schedule and stuff. So that is the number one thing that came out of all the data. Yeah. It was about flexibility. OK. Yeah. And, and I, I would agree with you on just to add to your point. It is a people thing. You know, like when I started this research, 10 years ago, it was like with the intention of understanding generations in the workforce. And it became very apparent that as technology has evolved over the last 20 years, we all have evolved to have different expectations around how we engage with life and with brands and with preferences. Mm -hmm. And we don't live in the days that, you know, for me would have been like my grandparents' generation where you just go to work and this is your start time and this is your end time and you don't ask questions and you don't expect to have anything beyond like this box and you live in yeah. this white picket fit, like that's gone. But it is evaporated. <laughs> you're going to work yes, there. Yes, that's evaporated. Yeah, until the end. And then you're so, going to go and watch. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Gold. <laughs> I'm like, no. And shouldn't yeah. we all want different from that? Like, come on. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely, definitely. Okay. And on that list, you said money was number four. So yeah. 
Flexi- flexibility was number one. Uh, what was number two? Number two was leadership. Leadership, sorry. And number three was? Mm-hmm. Education. Education. And then number four, money. Okay. Because that's really interesting, you know, that, that I mean, you often hear that, that money is not the most important thing. But yeah. when you have heart-to-hearts with people, they will say, Anthony, I promise you, it is the number one thing. They just want more money. It's like it, yeah. it's the, the leveraged more and more all the time. And there's a point where you can't give them anymore because you're, they're simply not generating enough to be given yeah. more. Yeah. One of the things, again, I go back to the schools, you know, we need to be teaching more about money and financial literacy and, and all of that in the schools. But then when I ask the question differently than the way this one was asked, when I asked them, um, why do you leave a salon, right? This was what would you need to make you stay? They came up mm-hmm. with these six things. When I asked them why they leave, the number one thing was autonomy. 60% of them, autonomy. They want some sense of say in their life, in their career, in their schedules. Like there's a lot of things you could bucket into that. And we could go way deeper in the mm-hmm. research to, to dig it out. And that's kind of for 2020, we're going to go really hard into autonomy because it surfaced so high. But the second thing that they say is flexibility. And the third thing is money. So top three, I leave because I want more autonomy. I leave because I want more flexibility. I leave because I want more money. So I think again, multiple ways to solve the problem. We need to start teaching about money differently. We need to start talking about money and the interview experience differently. Like let's stop saying you're going to make 40% commission. And let's start saying your average paycheck for the first three months is going to look like X. Mm. Your average paycheck by year one is going to look like X. That equates to this kind of income annually. Let's talk to them about something they can comprehend because for most students, we're talking, this is their first job. When you say you're going to earn X percentage commission of what they have no concept, 40% Mm. of a number I don't know means nothing to me. So let's do a better job of helping them know. So when I say yes, as a student, I say, yes, I'm going to work in your salon, Stephanie. I'm very clear. That means I'm going to make about, you know, I'll make up a number $1,500 a month for the first six months. And then I can decide as the student coming into work, can I live on that? Does that work for my life? Am I going to need a second job? Well, now what's my schedule look like that's going to allow me for another income source? Because when we get into money scarcity, that's when money becomes the top problem. Okay. And if they're not sure 1500 is around the average, they can't account for, well, I need to make up another 500 a month or I can't pay my bills. Mm. So they don't ask the right questions. They land in our business. They find themselves short one month. They're short the next month. Now their credit card has money on it that they didn't expect. And now they're stressed. And now they're saying, I can't make enough money here. Money's the top problem at that point. But we can get around that if we talk about money better. Okay. So let me ask you this. There's a, a quote. I saw it was a meme on Instagram I saw. And I, first time I saw it, I thought, that's a bit negative. I, I, didn't, I didn't like it. Okay. <laughs> and basically, basically it said. Coming it from said, an Englishman. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Too negative. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> um, but basically it said something like the way to achieve happiness is to lower your expectations. Mm-hmm. And so 
So you can see why I thought that's a bit negative. You know, the way to mm-hmm. achieve happiness is to lower your expectations. And I, I haven't got the wording exactly right, but I've definitely captured the meaning of it. Sure. And so, you know, what it's saying is that if you want to be happy, don't expect so much, you know. So now I just want to, I just want to park that over there for a minute. And I want to throw another statistic at you. And this could be one of those dubious ones, okay, uh, that float around okay. our industry. And, and it was that 80% of people leave our industry within two years of starting. Now, mm. uh, I don't know how accurate that is. I don't even know where it's from, but I've heard it said on more than one occasion. So when you marry the two of those things together, okay, about the way to be happy is to lower your expectations and 80% of people leave uh, because uh, within two years, you would have to then ask yourself, is it because they're being sold a bill bill of goods, so to speak, that is unrealistic for a lot of them? That, that, you know, I can show you people that earn 100 grand a year standing behind a chair, uh, but how many? Is it, is it one in 10? Is it one in five? Can everybody do that? Well, well, the answer is no, not everybody can do that. Some people can do it. So I sometimes wonder whether there are so many young people that start in our industry and it is not what they were led to believe it would be. And so they bail within two years. What, what, do you, what does the data, first of all, what did you think of my bit of data? Has it got any validity? Yeah. And, and if not, what is the data that you see around turnover of people in the industry? So I can't speak to the exact validity of your 80%, but I can tell you I've had very similar conversations with especially the school groups who have to track and measure placement here in the United States. Um, it's a high number. You know, I've heard the seven out of 10 leave. You know, I've also heard mm. stats that I can't say exactly where they come from. So I can't speak to their validity, but we certainly have a high percentage of people that come into our industry and do not stay. Um, I would take this back to, I don't think that we collectively as an industry are doing a great job of teaching them what they can really expect. I don't think we're honest enough. Um, actually, let me take honest off the table. We're not transparent enough. You know, we don't put in the time to teach the younger generations coming into our industry about what it really takes when you can expect to get to a hundred thousand. What does a hundred thousand even mean? How many clients is that? And how much is each client spending? And then what do you do to get them spending that? You know, like those are the conversations we, they tell us they want to grow. We know they want to earn a lot of money. So why aren't we having a different conversation so that they understand what does that really mean? Because your first year of school, this was my always in the interview one, your first year here is going to absolutely kick your ass. You're going to feel like you're not making any money. You're going to feel like you're getting feedback all the time about what you're not doing right. You're going to get it from me. You're going to get it from your team. You're going to get it from clients. This is a massive growth opportunity. You know, we're not telling you we're just going to doomsday you, but this is a growth is uncomfortable in your first year. You are growing. So if we don't set people up for success, that that first year is going to be financially tight, emotionally tight. You're going to feel like a failure and an imposter many days more than you feel like you're nailing it. How are we helping them through that? Cause that's really hard, mm-hmm. you know? So if they don't have all the things they need from us, they are going to bail. I would bail. I, yeah, yeah. If I feel like, you know, yes. Yeah. So I, we lose a lot of people. Do you think social media is part of the problem there? I love social media. Yeah. I love Instagram. I love but, it too, but, but yes. It's part of the problem, isn't it? It, it sells a dream well, that yeah. is achievable, 
for some people. It's not achievable for everybody, but there's degrees and degrees of success and, and uh, yes. you know, degrees and degrees of income level. And there's always that trade-off about, well, I want to work, you know, I want flexibility. I don't want to work Saturdays. Uh, I don't want to work late nights because I've got a child I need to pick up, whatever it is, but I still want to earn 50, 60, 70 grand a year. It's like, yep. honey, the calculator says no. There's a, yeah. do you know what I mean? It's, 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 well, like, so I love what you were saying. Let's have those conversations. Yeah, definitely. Because if, if I have a stylist come to me and say, I don't work Saturdays anymore, Stephanie, then my first move is going to be, okay, let's look at how much you earn on average on a Saturday. Let's look at how many clients you see on average. Let's back that out into your week and figure out where we're going to make it up. Because if we can't make it up, here's the impact to your income. Are you ready for that? I know you don't want to work Saturdays, but are you ready for the income impact? So that equates to, you know, mm. let's say it's six clients and they each need to spend $200 a piece. Where are we fitting six clients and an average bill of $200 into the rest of your week? And how long is it going to take us to get you there? Mm. If you're prepared for that, I'll walk it out with you. I will help you. I will do everything I can. But if you can't hang with the income loss while we rebuild, which will take time, then you shouldn't make this decision. Maybe we should start with one Saturday. You know, it's conversation. It's making sure they get it. I think of it, it's like the unconscious incompetence. They don't know what they don't know. Yeah. We are responsible as their leaders to teach them what they don't know. Mm. And they don't have to like it. They don't even have to accept it. But we have to teach it. You know, I, I use this analogy a lot, you know, American football, um, we have, they, they tape the games, coaches tape the games. And when the game is over, they bring the players in and they rewatch the film and they say very clearly, Hey, you threw left there. You should have thrown right. Like they point out very clearly what went wrong, what didn't work. We do not do that well in the beauty industry. Mm. And yet they're telling us the number two thing they need to stay is a great leader. Mm. A great leader helps them grow. Yeah. Right. But you can't also, we, we go wrong here too. You can't help somebody grow if you're only focused on the numbers. If the relationship hasn't preceded the feedback, they don't want the feedback. I get that from owners a lot who say, well, I try to tell them, you know, I get the tears or I get the, I know, I know, yeah, yeah. you know, or, or I get the anger. And my response is always, then there's not enough relationship there mm. because they don't feel comfortable. Like you care enough that your intention is where it needs to be for you to deliver that information to them. Yeah. So you have to go way back to the beginning you have to build the relationship. You have to build the trust and they have to know your job is to get them from zero to 10, from 10 to 20, from 20 to 30. And that every one of those stairwells has gaps that if they knew how to do it on their own, they would. They don't know how to do it on their own. And if you need me to help you, then it means I have to give you the feedback and it's not always going to be pretty and it's not always going to feel good, but mm. I'm here. I'm your trampoline. You know, I'm going to catch you mm. and I'm going to help you get to the next level. And so we, we just miss these steps. And, you know, in a lot of salons all around the world, you have an owner whose full-time job is doing hair yeah. who happens to have a bunch of team running around them. Exactly. That's so hard. Yeah. It's so yeah. hard. That's, that's where you got to lean into those leaders and say, I'm going to build a crew of people around me that can help me with all these things because I cannot do it all, nor should you want to. That's exhausting. Mm. <laughs> I remember reading uh, once, uh, it was on one of those in-flight magazines, you know, in the States. And it was a, a sentence I read it. I had to stop and read it three times because I was shocked by it. And it said that 
the average person in corporate America, okay, so not hairdressing, corporate America, uh, changes jobs every three years or, or is yeah. in a job for three years. That's now what the average is. And they compared it to what it was 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. And it was now down to three years. And I remember reading it and just thinking, oh, my God, and salons think they've got a problem. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Because that would be, it's, yeah. it's not just corporate America. That is, that's corporate world. Everyone. Basically. People move you around. You know, it matches ours. Yeah. 2.8 so, years. Average oh, well, retention. Oh, well, that's just what I was going to say. What is the average time span for a hairdresser in a salon yeah. today? 2.8 2. years. 2.8. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Not very long, is it? If you're getting them from Not, nothing. Especially if they're new. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. If you're getting them from nothing, yeah, you're, you've, only, you've only just built them up and making a bit out of them and they're gone. So, But average is always a good number to point out because what that means is that some people last a lot longer than that. And so if you're doing yes. well, you're going to have people that are, are lasting uh, longer than that. Okay, so um, where, where do I want to go with this? Let's talk about pricing for a minute. Um, <laughs> another, another bumper sticker I saw was uh, uh, charge your worth. And, you know, all the hairdressers jump on in there and, and Instagram and said, yeah, charge your worth, charge your worth. <laughs> and I'm all for charge your worth. But it's also about you've got to prove that you're worth it first because sometimes the, the general tone of the conversation is about if we just charge more, then we'll, we'll earn a lot more money. But mm. no one talks about... It's not about charging more necessarily. It can be, okay, it can be without a doubt. But it's about increasing your productivity. Now, what I mean by that is that there are people out there, I mean, you know, three big brands in the US, Great Clips, uh, 4,000 plus salons, uh, Sport Clips, uh, 1,600 plus salons, Supercuts, almost two and a half thousand salons. I mean, together, that's over 8,000 salons. And they're all in that, you know, $20, I'm going to ballpark it, I'm going to say $20 to $30 price point. And do you know what? That's okay. There is a market for that. And there's also a market for, you know, Ted Gibson, who charges two and a half thousand dollars for a haircut, you know. So mm -hmm. it, it, it's not just about saying charge your worth. It, it's about productivity. And I don't mind if you want to do $20 haircuts, knock yourself out. Just do four of them an hour minimum, because otherwise yeah. it, it, it's just not going to. The, the, the calculator says no. Do, do, do you know what I mean? So, so what yeah. are your thoughts about pricing, productivity, you know, that sort of thing. What, what does the data say about all that? Well, initially, my reaction is we need to do a better job of telling the story of what working in each style of salon looks like, right? There are budget salons where productivity is king. You know, you do need four haircuts in an hour and this is how it works. And then you move into the more, you know, luxury level salons and then you have the really high-end salon experiences, and in each of those styles of salon, you could be looking at productivity over like less clients, smarter, not harder. You know, it's another tagline you hear people talk about a lot. So we have to help identify for ourselves, which one are we, you know, and most salons fit in that middle luxury band, right? They're kind of somewhere yeah. in the middle and they might have a low price point up to a higher price yeah. point. Um, I personally believe that 
after COVID even more, our industry is underpriced. I fall in this, this mindset that we are, we undercharge as a general rule across definitely the U S and that our whole industry needs to just have a big old level up so that it's like, I, I dream of having an event and, you know, going home and on Tuesday morning, all the salons open and we've all just said we're up 20% because mm. I think that we have carried the stigma of beauty, not being a good career choice for far too long. And I think that stigma has significantly impacted how our pricing has evolved. And I believe that we are the people that create the images for all the people out there running these, you know, multimillion dollar companies and getting up and, you know, being an attorney or a doctor, like we are creating the way that they look, which impacts the way that they feel, which impacts the way that they succeed in their life. And I think we undercharge as an industry. I don't fall into the belief that you should just take your prices up because, um, in terms of an individual hairdresser level, I think as an industry, we need to elevate, but I think on an individual hairdresser level, we need to identify the style of business we have and attract the person into it. Who wants the lifestyle and the income that comes with that? Because if you choose one of the smaller, um, more budget type salons, you're going to hustle more. Mm. That's okay. You might like hustle a lot. You might really thrive in that. Um, you go to a high end luxury salon and you do three clients a day. You're going to deal with a lot bougier, higher standard. You're going to go home thinking you're not that great at what you do some days because the person you're serving is going to tell you very clearly how they feel about the work <laughs> that you did for them because they paid a high ticket for it. So it's a yeah, different yeah. skill. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I would say what, back to your, what does the data say? We see that money is important. We see that flexibility is important and scheduling is important. The majority of the workforce says they want to work between 30 and 40 hours a week. So if we kind of split that and we say the lower end, they need to be educated on how to work in a higher earning potential salon so that they can work less hours and make the earnings that they want to earn and stay in the industry. Mm-hmm. The people that want to work 40 hours a week, go hustle. It's great. If you want to do that, you know, you're going to be, you're going to make enough money to live at that level. But if you're 30 hours a week and you're doing four haircuts an hour and you're working at one of the budget style salons, you're not going to make that much money because that's where the price point is. You know, at 20, $20, you might make $20 an hour when it's all said and done, mm. 40 hours a week. You're just not earning enough to really live on. And so, um, yeah, I think as an industry, the old stigmas around what we think about ourselves have taken a long time to fall away. And I think we're, we're we are worth more than what we're charging. And I think COVID yeah. proved yeah, that, as a, as a general, <laughs> you know, as the a number one thing Googled. Yeah. Yeah. Ronan, um, the, the founder of forest salon software, Oh yeah. He, uh, they shared a presentation at data driven a few months ago and he had shared that in April of 2020, the number one search on Google was when does my salon reopen? Wow. So we were one month into a global pandemic and the top search was when does my salon reopen? If that doesn't say how valuable we are, Mm. nothing does. That was a global reality. So yeah, I think also, you know, I know that in, you know, Australia and UK, you guys have different expectations in terms of how you offer benefits and time off. In the United States, we certainly are at higher commission levels and they still want all the benefits and things. I look at that pricing component as, okay, how do we get to a business model that's viable and still give people what they want? Mm. We're going to have to come up in price because there's nowhere else to make up the money. The margins don't exist. Mm. Definitely. Definitely. 
Okay, well, look, we, we're going to need to start wrapping up, but I've got two questions I have to ask you. Uh, one of okay. them is about, and I might have this completely wrong, uh, but are you launching some new bit of technology? I are am, you allowed, yes. Are you allowed to talk about that or not? I can talk about it, yeah. Right, okay. Yes, so so, so... What, what is that? When can we expect to hear, hear and see what that is? So the technology is called Matchable. And I, gosh, what is it? It is a matching technology that makes recruiting a hell of a lot easier. <laughs> um, I just, from the work that I've done and the data I've collected and the salon owners I know, what I, what I can conclude is the interviewing experience is painful. It is painful. We're not very skilled at it. We don't know how to find the talent. We don't know how to determine if they work well for us. So what Matchable does is it takes all the data and we build an algorithm that allows each side of the platform, whether you're a stylist or a business owner, to be assessed for the type of culture you thrive in or the type of culture you are. And then mm. the, the tech automates matching you. So it works a lot like a dating app. So it's basically going to tell say, you, hey, salon owner. for hairdressing. It's like tender for hair. <laughs> Here you go. These are the people that would work best in your business. Wow. Connect with them. Talk to yeah. them. Interview them. Hire them. Yeah. Good. So it's coming okay. in early 2022. So we will um, we'll have a U.S. launch first, but we certainly plan to have a, a global space and global footprint. So very excited. And um, anybody that's interested can go, the website's matchable.me. You can sign up. We kind of have an early list. We're just collecting people that said, hey, tell us when it's ready. We want to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That sounds very interesting. And then the, the very last thing I want to ask you about, which is really a thread that has run through everything we've talked about, is changing business models. Um, what are your thoughts what are your feeling about you know where, where's the future of our industry in terms of the ever-evolving business model so i believe that we have two very clear lanes we have employee models and we have independent models and on the side that most of us sit on i think we have to refocus our attention to the employee model um, and think about how we elevate it which requires pricing elevation. Like it requires a lot of touch points, right? It's not one solution. Um, I think more important than anything though, because it's such emotional work when you talk about being a business owner, that before you start any of the work on evolving your business model, you get really clear on why you're doing this. Because if you have not recentered around your purpose, this is going to make or break you because mm -hmm. we are in such fast changing times and the preferences are changing and they're going to keep changing. You know, that if you're not willing to dive in and say, I will try whatever it takes, mm. you know, I will look at all the options. I will stop resisting. I will stop spending all my energy on why it's not going to work. Um, and I will actually get connected to smart people who are coming up with really incredible, radical ideas and I'll try it on and I'll see what happens. And I'll be part of the innovative side of this industry instead of the people that are 10 years from now having a dying business, you know, yeah. it's going to, it's going to happen faster than that if you choose to resist it. But, you know, yeah. even there were people 10 years ago that are really struggling now and they didn't need to be because mm -hmm. I work with salons all over the, the U S that aren't struggling the way some are mm -hmm. because they're willing to be radically different. So I think, you know, we're going to keep these business models. I think they're both going to exist. The data tells us that very clearly. And if we want to be one of them that exist and thrive, have to be willing to evolve. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, we need to wrap up. So whereabouts can people connect with you on Instagram or any other social media channels or website, et cetera? 
Yeah. So my Instagram is stuff with an F. So S T E F underscore Fox. So that's a great place to connect with me and you can message me there or follow my content. I share a lot of the data points and, um, inspirational quotes. I like to keep people optimistic. <laughs> and then my website is, um, talentmatch.biz. and the website of course, as a contact forum, but it also talks about all the services we offer, you know, how we help you build teams and build your avatar. So, you know, who your ideal person is, you might want to hire. And um, then I'm on clubhouse on Wednesdays too. So you can find me same as Instagram stuff underscore Fox. And I like to have chats on there. And I like, you've been on some of my chats. I know Anthony. And so I, I like open, authentic conversations. So if you join me on clubhouse, be ready to get on the stage and talk to you. Cause I, I like I, to have I will conversation do. Look, with I, everybody. I'm, I'm right up for it. I mean, I was on clubhouse every single week. But it's interesting how it sort of has died off a bit because, I don't know, we've mm -hmm. all gone back to work. We've all got so much to do. Yes. And I simply I simply don't have the time to get on it, but I enjoyed being on yours. There's always good good conversation and, and great topics. So um, uh, when I can, I will. But you, when you have it, it clashes with my dinner time. <laughs> Oh, yeah, because I'm in the middle of the day. You're right. And you're exactly. It's always like my, my dinner's on the table. Anthony, your dinner's on the table. Are you coming? <laughs> no, I'm talking to Stephanie. I won't be a minute. Um, anyway, okay. Well, look, I, I will make sure that I put uh, your Instagram details, website details um, on the growmysalonbusiness.com uh, website in the show notes for today's podcast as well. Uh, so if you're listening to this podcast with Stephanie Fox and you've enjoyed it, then please do me a favor, take a screenshot on your phone, share it to Instagram stories, uh, especially with someone who you know who is going to get a lot out of this, because I certainly got a lot out of it. And I'm sure that uh, anybody else in this industry would as well. So uh, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and review on the Apple podcast app. So to wrap up, Stephanie Fox, thank you so much for being on this week's episode of the Grow My Salon Business podcast. Thank you. So great. I appreciate your questions. I love the thought provoking. It's like, oh my gosh, there's so much, there's so much great work to do. So thanks great. for hosting. <laughs> thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.